Welcome to Connect the Dots podcast, presented by Nine Dots and hosted by Jeffrey Klein. We share stories and explore their power to impact others. Our aim is to share some edutainment, to give some useful nuggets that can be applied to your business while also entertaining you. Thank you for listening. Here is your host, Jeffrey. My guest is Pete Angevine, who is founder and owner of Little Baby's Ice Cream, as well as a big fan of good ideas and new experiences. He is a savvy collaborator and a sensitive listener, and is known to remark on the loudness of such things as melting ice cubes, distant air traffic, and most recently, burning candles. In addition to refracting a particular light on familiar traditions like ice cream and miniature golf, his interests include music from around the world with no chord changes, Shinrin Yoku, having a, as wide a perspective as possible, cities, icon class, and doing the right thing. He likes to stay busy, but not too busy, and like everyone else, is searching for inner transcendence in this wild world we live in. Welcome, Pete. Hello. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to ask you nine questions, and we'd like to start at the beginning. So where were you born, and what did your parents do for a living? I was born in Livingston, New Jersey, um, and my mother worked at the Newark Museum, and my father worked at a bank in Newark. Now, growing up, uh, did you have certain people in your family that were particularly good at telling stories, and if so, what made them so good? Uh, I was thinking about this, and the person that came to mind was not a family member, but was a music teacher a little bit later in life, uh, named Carl Bradley. And I found that he always was able to um, tell stories that kind of put context around, um, you know, a lot of different musics that were really meaningful. Uh, to me as a young person. And so uh, having those stories kind of helped me understand the the how, the what, the why, the when of when certain music was made um, was just really impactful and memorable to me. Very cool. And can you think of an element uh, that he used or that in general you think is good uh, and important to tell a good story? An element? Um, I mean... Uh, Certainly a compelling, um, a compelling person or, or idea as like the basic subject of a story, I think it's critical. Otherwise, you know, the story itself is not really interesting or so character worthwhile. Being, you know, yeah, uh, character. There you are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that would be the term. <laughs> so you need to have a, so an atypical character that's going to be appealing to people. Mm-hmm. Um, something different. Be, yeah, something different, like being able to remark on the loudness of such things as melting ice cubes, distant air traffic, or burning candles. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, now, do you think it's important in business to be able to tell compelling stories? Yeah, I do. I mean, in a, in a somewhat different way, but I think um, that is a fundamental component of branding and marketing. And, uh, a lot of businesses, that's, that's really primarily what they're doing is they're telling a story and selling that story. Um, so yes, absolutely. Well, you and I can 
heatedly agree on that. Uh, do, do you think that being a good, uh, good at telling stories is a skill that can be developed, or do you think you have to be born with it? Um, I'm sure some people are born with, um, you know, a better knack for it than others, but I do think that it is something that is learnable. Um, you know, once you, I think, yeah, over time, if you are an appreciator of good stories, you start to recognize like, what are the components of a story that make it interesting or give it a hook. Right. And so you, you can pick up on, uh, the the structure or the what is essential information and what is extraneous information and you know how to how to deliver stories in the most impactful way so yeah i think there is a lot that can be picked up or developed over time can you name a brand you know you mentioned that brands some brands it's very important obviously for them to tell their stories and that's how they market themselves can you name a brand that you think tells effective stories and why do you think they're effective? Sure. Um, I was thinking about this as well and I I don't want to, uh, I don't want to go negative, but the one that really was the first to pop into my mind was, um, was Burt's Bees Mm -hmm. who makes, I, you know, I don't even know the range of products they make, but I know about their chapstick. As and, uh, it's a favorite in my house. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so their whole brand and story is, is surrounded, you know, is, is, a, is about, uh, I guess this old, you know, kind of new Englander farmer guy named Bert who, you know, supposedly makes makes all these natural products by hand with, you know, his home raised honey from his bee collection. And it's all, you know, very bespoke and natural and just so when in reality, that is, you know, a pretty gigantic corporation that is probably owned by some other <laughs> even more gigantic corporation. And uh, well, they've created a good character. Then is that what's made it effective? Exactly. Yes. So their story is is incre- is a, extremely salient and uh, and catchy and effective. But I wonder how true it is. Yeah. Well, we talked this with other guests about authenticity being super important in the stories that one tells, and so brands in particular. Whether or not there is a Bert or there is, you know, truth in that is is something that I think. Do we question it? You know, some people probably just take on face, oh, there's a Bert, and, and they buy into the story, and, yep. and that challenge of understanding, well, is it authentic or not, is a big challenge for for brands because um, if people don't think it's authentic, then they will fail at connecting yep. with people. Uh, I'm gonna add. I'm going to ask one other question before you tell us your story, which is related to Little Baby's ice cream. So I was, you're known for making some pretty remarkable flavors. Um, and I'm curious, you know, they seem to all have little stories behind them. Is that kind of intentional? Um, yes, but I think for the most part, it's also, I mean, to, to use the term authentic, I think it's also... Um, that so many of the flavors that we make really are kind of the result of a partnership or a collaboration with another person or a group of people or a product or 
you know, or, or something like that. So, um, yeah, frequently the, the flavors, you know, we make a lot of different flavors and they usually come up, uh, through some kind of a, of a process or a project or a partnership like that. They're not just all kind of coming out of the ether. So, um, so yeah, there really truly are stories attached to them and surrounding them. And I think, yeah, I mean, sometimes those are more, um, effective or important than others, depending on the flavors. But yes, I think there are definitely stories around a lot of our flavors. And, and in terms of the process, I, you know, I look at some of these chocolate teriyaki and chipotle chocolate and cardamom caramel and, and you know, there's buttered popcorn ice cream. Right? You know, when you look at some of these flavors that you guys have produced, uh, I think some people take pause at, you know, how cucumber dill ice cream may work. And where is the the story behind how you decided on these? Is there's just you work? You said there's collaborations with people. So yeah, well, cucumber dill is a perfect example that came up uh, maybe four or five years ago when uh, good friends of ours were um, they were in the process of starting a pickle company, which I guess now in retrospect never actually really got off the ground, but uh, they were starting a pickle company and uh, we were spending a lot of time with them and trying out their pickles and helping them think through what they're going to do. And uh, we started using some of the, the brine that they were uh, fermenting to to use in the ice cream to see if we could make, you know, a pickled ice cream. And ultimately we kind of learned the hard way that, uh, vinegar and dairy aren't necessarily the best bedfellows. And so cucumber dill kind of came out of that. Um, yeah. So there you are. That's so the story looking, behind that. looking at this great variety of ice cream flavors. So is there someone who enjoys each flavor that you make? So would it not make it through the cut if there wasn't someone says, yeah, you know, I think that ramen noodle ice cream tastes pretty good. By and large, yes. Um, it sounds like you're on our website looking at our flavor archive, which is really I, I most state. certainly am. <laughs> I, I, my memory's not good enough to remember tomato soup and grilled cheese ice cream. Right. So that is one. This is what I was going to say. I, um, that is really a gigantic collection of pretty much every flavor we have ever made um, since 2011. A good, a good portion of those really were made once, were made as a one-off for either an event or um, kind of a, a special request or, you know, some, some kind of a specific reason and wasn't really um, returned to tomato and grilled cheese. There actually were tomato soup and grilled cheese. There, there were a handful of folks that really loved that, but we made that uh, one small batch of that probably in 2013 for a community supported ice cream subscription service that we were running at the time. And uh, it kind of came and went in a flash and, <laughs> um, and that's okay. It was something that, we tried and i think for us it was very much a learning process about like how do we um how how do we turn anything and everything into ice cream i think it was uh it contributed to our brand story to to kind of demonstrate that we can and will try anything <laughs> i was gonna i was gonna ask is there anything you wouldn't try 
Uh, probably, I mean, no. So long as it's <laughs> like, you know, like food safe and, uh, you know, not uh, impractically expensive or something like that. I think, yeah, we've definitely learned a lot over the years about like, um, how far is too far to push it. <laughs> so uh, do, you, do you have an example of any flavors that didn't ever make it where someone said, Oh, I want to make this flavor. And you're like, no. I mean, the one that always sticks in my head, uh, when that question comes up is when we were really very first getting started. This is probably 2011. Um, we did try to make a single batch of a flavor with champagne and lucky charms <laughs> and it was repulsive. And we, uh, immediately decided to never make it again. Champagne. I think my son, who's a huge fan of lucky charms, if you had just not had the champagne part and just had lucky charms, then that sounds like something he could get behind. Right. But that's not, uh, Uniquely Babesian, as I like to call Babesian, it. Babesian, <laughs> I like that. Uh, and so do the ideas for your flavors, are you always thinking about what's the next flavor or do they just organically arise because someone says, oh, can you make this or have you tried this? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I think um, kind of innovation and, um, you know, newness is is part of what we do and it's part of what people look to us for. And part of the reason that some of our kind of longtime super fans keep coming back. Um, but it's, you know, we also have a lot of more mundane, uh, you know, kind of like typical business operational things that we have to focus on these days as we grow. And so there's, you know, a little bit less of an emphasis on coming up with eight new flavors every <laughs> single month, right? Um, but we absolutely do reserve space for um, for other folks to come to us with ideas or suggestions or requests or you know commissions, as it were. Um, and have you have you ever offered uh, traditional flavors, vanilla, chocolate, strawberry? Has that ever been on ever been on the little baby's ice cream menu? No, they haven't. Um, we have, you know, our version, our close corollaries. You know, our take on those. So, for instance, we have a chocolate salt malt, which is kind of a, a blockbuster for us, and it's and it's our version of a really straightforward, simple chocolate flavor. And our version of a classic vanilla bean is a vanilla cardamom cream. Um, so always give that little are, baby's twist. Yeah, exactly. Right. They're familiar. They're approachable. They are mostly recognizable, but there's just something a little bit different about it that makes it unique. And that seems to be a good way to describe little baby's ice cream as a brand. I would. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I like to think so. Right. So I've asked my questions. I'm not going to ask you to kind of tell us a story when you connected the dots and, and I'm hoping to hear the story of how this all came to be. Sure. Um, yeah, I can just tell it from my personal perspective because, uh, for me, it was really about connecting a couple different dots of things of different kind of areas that I was interested in that all kind of weave together to eventually result in an ice cream company, which, uh, to be sure was not, 
something that I really saw coming in my life. Um, so I spent, uh, the majority of my life, uh, playing music as did my two partners when we founded, uh, that was really my entire professional experience. That's every, most people I knew that was my academic experience. My social life was, it was all around music. Um, and then, uh, at a certain point I, decided that that's not what I wanted to do anymore. And I was, um, ready to put my kind of creativity and imagination to a different use. Um, and around that same time, I was becoming, um, more interested in kind of food systems and, and the local food movement. And, you know, just, I think it was a, a broader part of kind of culture at that time was taking a closer look at like, where does our food come from? Uh, how does it make us feel like, how is it produced, et cetera. Um, so that was something that I, um, was interested in and cared a lot about. Um, I was also right. I was also interested in not just for myself, but the general idea of, uh, you know, if everybody I knew was a musician or in a band or something, I, I, I had really grown pretty tired of that. It's like, how do we put all this creative energy and all these like fresh ideas into something other than a bunch of, um, you know, scungy dudes on stage with guitars. Um, and then, uh, another part of it for me anyway, was I had become really, uh, kind of fascinated by this, um, one particular European art movement of, I guess, the 50s and 60s called Situation, the, the Situationists. And they always talked about um, something they called the Society of the Spectacle and about how art and life should be merged and should not be separated and should uh, the artist should be kind of a provocateur that disrupts the everyday for, for people. And so... Um, the way that kind of weaved together for me was, the, I guess, in a, it ended up in a, in a funny way, which was um, having a custom-built ice cream tricycle pop up at, at uh, all kinds of places, like at the end of, you know, punk shows in the middle of the night or a, blo a block party in the middle of a neighborhood or an arts festival somewhere selling you know, strange flavored ice creams with hot sauce in it. Right. It was this just like totally surprising, disruptive, unusual, like what is going on over there? <laughs> um, kind of thing that would catch people off guard. But at the end of the day, uh, what we were dishing out was, was frozen milk and sugar, right? It was ice cream, which is this, um, pretty, pretty universal thing that most people have some kind of fondness for or memory of or connection to. And so it's something that um, traditionally brings people together and it makes people happy. And so to me, that that made it seem like an ideal um, opportunity to subvert expectations and deliver a new experience to people. Um, so I don't know if that makes any sense, but that that's the way small batch ice cream kind of came into my life. And did you, when you started on the, on the tricycle, uh, ice cream vehicle, did, did you think this was going to become a business? 
Absolutely not. No. So how did you go from, oh, here I'm, you know, sharing this crazy ice cream flavored at, you know, punk bands to now being in Whole Foods? Um, well, I mean, pretty immediately for us, within the first couple of times that we brought the tricycle out, it was very evident that there was a much bigger demand or a much larger market or audience for what we were doing than we had initially anticipated. Um, this was in 2011, so it was like right before the uh, Philadelphia food truck craze really mm. kicked off. It was, as I said, it was like right around the time when people were becoming um, more and more interested in their food and local food um, and kind of unique Epicurean food. Um, and it was, so yeah, it was, it was a little bit of a, at the right time at the right place situation, but I think we were doing something of quality and we were doing it differently than anyone else. And so, um, we, we quickly noticed that there was a much bigger interest in what we were doing than we anticipated. And so we kind of, we got down to brass tacks fairly quickly and, and started figuring out how to actually turn this into a business and, um, started raising money to be able to open our first location on Frankfurt Avenue in Fishtown, which is uh, still there as our world headquarters. I love it. And it's kind of for, it snowballed from there. Two questions I have. One is, is there a current flavor that you're working on that no one really knows yet has come out? Um, I guess it, it has just recently come out, but that... Um, and needs all the plugs it can get. So I'll mention that. Um, Shameless plugs are allowed on this podcast. Yeah, great. Yeah, we are kind of in the process of launching um, a vegan CBD ice cream line. I believe we are the first to market with this. Um, so right now we're, we're only doing it in one uh, kind of non-Babesian flavor. We are doing a straightforward chocolate CBD flavor. Um, and for people who might not know, what, what, what is CBD? CBD is the non-psychoactive, completely legal and unrestricted compound from the marijuana plant that is uh, used to treat all sorts of ailments from, um, you know, pain to insomnia to anxiety to uh, etc. Um, and so it's a product that is starting to turn up in all sorts of kind of health and wellness uh, products and, and in, you know, natural food stores and, and things like this. And it, I guess it's a supplement essentially. Um, and so we are making a vegan ice cream. How does it affect the flavor or does it, does it taste a little like you've just smoked a doobie? <laughs> very, very, very subtly. Uh, you maybe taste a little bit of like an earthy tone to it. Um, but between the coconut from the base and the chocolate that we've added to it, it's pretty subtle. So it mostly just tastes like delicious non-dairy chocolate ice cream. Awesome. Well, Pete, this has been incredible. I, I feel like we could go through all the different flavors and you could tell us story after story, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll leave that for another day. I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for disrupting ice cream. You know, I think uh, people who, who are familiar with little babies uh, recognize that you have put something in that innovation, imagination, and creativity 
that wasn't there before, and I think that's pretty uh, noteworthy. So thank you for that. And most of all, I wanted to thank you for helping us connect the dots. Thanks for having me. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and found it of value. I would super appreciate if you would subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It would be amazing if you could leave a review, comment, and share. Share and show you care. Check out Nine Dots Podcast for more great episodes. Remember, story matters. Thanks again for helping me connect the dots.